0: Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podca... Podca? Good God! (laughs) Podcaster. And I'm joined on this snowy
1: night, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm a podca, and I'm here to talk about Wreck, Dan's choice for this (laughs) fortnight. And he's only gone and bloody picked a masterpiece. Really excited about this one, and we've got a double bill... A very special extra features for you precious arrowhead because we love you uh but before we get to that we've got lots to talk about about the actual uh disc itself but uh before we do that dan why don't you tell everyone the plot of wreck
0: Wreck is one of those incredibly lean films that isn't really about the plot, although it does have a, a solid plot. And actually, I think one of the things that's so nice about it is that it sort of sucker punches you with a bit of extra plot you weren't expecting at the end. But the rough introduction to Wreck is that a late night and possibly slightly underwatched television show is doing a, an, a, a low-key and soft investigation into the goings-on of a fire station at night and a company... Uh, the fireman to a domestic call out in a tenement block where things are going awry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a fan footage movie, um, and we are ostensibly watching the TV show, but we're watching a sort of unedited assembly of the TV show because there's a lot of like second takes um, and sort of back chatter at the beginning as well.
1: Yeah footage gets
0: rewound at one point and all yeah, sorts so yeah i, I love that moment yeah, i completely forgotten about that and it's it's a really interesting one because it's the film it has so much focus on being realistic you know within the realms of the real, of the world it's presenting yeah and that isn't how that would behave but it never feels wrong like that's not how because the characters say i'll oh, rewind it and look at that yeah and then that's what you see, almost like you're there with them. It's, it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting one. I think it's, you know, of all the found footage stuff, a lot of, a lot of it is, like in, in found footage films in general, the benefit is this sort of immediacy and this, um, this familiarity of format. You know, we, we all have digital cameras now with us all the time. But this manages to, to feel very present and real.
1: I absolutely love found footage. It's uh, 100% one of my favorite subgenres, sub-genres, um, and I've incorporated found footage elements, even if they're relatively subtle, into Frankenstein's creature and a little more flesh. But yeah, I think that unique thing that it delivers is exactly what you say, Dan, that kind of immersion that you get from it, especially in Wreck. I think Wreck is kind of an amazing example of it. But that line between fantasy and reality is is obviously so much more blurred in found footage than in any other genre. And that's a really interesting arena to play in if you really want to have a big impact on your audience. And yeah, the fact that it's calling attention to itself as a piece of created media kind of paradoxically makes it feel so much more real um, because we're surrounded by created media, as you say, Dan. And it's not trying to pretend it's not real even though it's pretending to pretend it's not real, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it really creates an, an immersive experience. Um, uh, how do you feel about found footage in general?
0: I like found footage. I mean, it's like like so many things. When something becomes popular or when something is seen as profitable, there's always a little bump in the amount that's coming out. And so finding the gems tends to become a little bit more of a of a sift. But I do think that it's one of the more sort of it's one of the areas where you can see the democratization of uh, filmmaking Mm. really flexed because as long as you do the planning, as long as you know what you're up to, it is a very cost effective way of making films. I I think it's not an easy way to make films, and that's a mistake that I think a lot of like very very independent film footage movies fall into because actually it's quite easy to make a film that's quite unpleasant to watch with found footage uh, and when there was a resurgence of the subgenre, that was a big complaint a lot of people had about it was that it made them feel motion sick or mm. you know whatever but i think wreck manages to sidestep a lot of that stuff they obviously did plan it very well
1: oh yeah like uh, a, uh, like a military operation
0: yeah, yeah yeah exactly um but then on top of that they are doing that Blair Witch thing where they also didn't plan it in some ways yeah. very tactically and did that to exploit real emotional responses from their cast
1: yeah and, and creating environments yeah almost like a, a haunted house or something like that that they were putting people into and filming but yeah I'm, I'm sure we'll get on to that I, I, I guess I just you're absolutely right it is relatively inexpensive to make so a lot of DIY filmmakers do kind of they are drawn to found footage and so it has kind of a bad reputation to some extent like the market is absolutely flooded with this stuff yeah um but when these films work they really leave a mark on your mind i think like oh yeah i I find that good found footage stuff stays with me more than pretty much any other horror genre it's almost like my brain wants to remember it more because it feels like it's been given real information on some level that's kind of filtered down into my subconscious and is kind of trying to protect me from future danger. Like (laughs) when I walked home from the cinema from paranormal activity, for example, I was with a friend and I was kind of acting all tough, like it hadn't bothered me. And uh, someone's garden gate slammed in the wind, and I jumped out of my skin. And I think, yeah, she's probably still laughing at me now because, yes, I I, I was kind of hoisted on my own petard, if that's the right expression. But yeah, this stuff really scares me and really stays with me. You don't tend to get scared by stuff, Dan. But did wreck bother you on any level? I,
0: I I'm not sure. I'd say I was scared by wreck, but it definitely made me feel tense. Right. And I was pleased, and it's been a long time since I've watched it, but I was very pleased going back to it that it still had a degree of that efficacy. I I was still, like, because I didn't remember every single beat of it, because to some extent it it was fresh again, there were moments of tension where I was genuinely, like, sort of, like the the very ending which we will end up talking about in in depth I think the very ending lasted a lot longer than I thought it what it did right <laughs> from my previous memory and so when that didn't finish when I thought it was going to finish that was an interesting experience because my body was like oh okay fuck we thought we're done with this but now there's more
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely and yeah no we'll definitely be talking about the ending so spoiler alert for anyone who's gotten this far into the podcast um and hasn't watched Wreck please do watch Wreck. It's it's not just available on an amazing Blu-ray, uh, but it's also on the Arrow player. So you've got no excuses not to watch it. It is incredible. Um, Which I think it's still doing its free, like, chunk, if you want to just dip in. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, I definitely want to talk about that ending. Let's just do it now, to a certain extent, um, because it's something that is covered on the commentary from the directors, and... Yeah, the commentary is incredible, right, from Yalma Balagero and Paco Plaza. They cover so much, but it, it, I'm going to have to revert to that old cliche of it being like a film school because they go into so much detail and it's just so useful for any budding filmmakers listening to this who do want to do that kind of DIY found footage kind of movie and, and try and make a really good one um, because it, it's just the perfect guide to constructing a film like this. They break it down in such intense detail. And one of the details they go into is that end sequence, you know, with the, that, that final shot that, that was played on all the trailers in this country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I talked to them about that in my interview with them. But anyway, what they go into in the commentary is that there's a level of... Um, experience that the actors had in in that scene that we can't get from the movie because not only did they you know add all those photos and everything else that room smelt as well yeah they they added um really really horrible almost like dead body smells to the room to increase that level of horror for the actors is is that something that um, you wanted to talk about Dan. Is that something that you know about?
0: No, I mean Manuela talks about that in the making of, uh, right? And the fact that she didn't, that, that she didn't wash her costume for the entire film.
1: Oh my god! So
0: they were shooting in sequence, and so rather than having to reset the costume, she just didn't watch, didn't wash it.
1: That's amazing. And she's,
0: and she's allergic to spray deodorant. Oh my god! <laughs> so they, the costume department did actually spray it with deodorant, and that just made her more sick. Um, and apparently they had genuine like rotting meat in that set
1: to create an almost dogma level of horribleness that's it and you know let's flash back to two weeks to when we were talking about sting of death and you know (laughs) i was saying oh you know (laughs) these things they did in the 70s it's not a million miles away from that but um well
0: yeah the 70s america and and early what is it late 90s yeah spain closer than maybe you'd think (laughs) Um, i mean this film this film has a head injury sustained by an actor it does yeah that's
1: that's in the film yeah oh my god what right what a double bill i'm gonna scrap my recommendations for this one and and change tack um yeah but in addition to kind of all the found footage stuff and actually the the filmmakers themselves would argue that it's not uh, uh, a found footage film in fact they do argue that point to me in my interview that's coming <laughs> up later i think because the footage isn't found it, it's not a found footage film so i don't, I don't know what that understand is what
0: a found footage movie is
1: yeah um like
0: that with the exception of things like cannibal holocaust and uh, you know a few others the finding of the footage is not present in the movie yeah and then obviously blair witch put up all the we you know this footage was found and we've told yeah. you about it yeah yeah but, but there is a tacit understanding whenever you're watching a found footage movie even if that isn't addressed that the footage has been found yeah. and been made available to you in some way absolutely so I, d- I don't think they need to include that i think one of the one of the really interesting things about the way they ad- approach the quote-unquote found footage format even if that's not what they're calling it yeah is that they establish an although it's linear in time they establish edits and a sort of assembly quite early on. Yes. Because it starts in the TV show, yeah. that doesn't feel alien to you. That doesn't feel like... That doesn't break the reality of the sequence, I think. And then later on, when we get into the keep the camera on, film everything stuff, those edits don't rankle because you're used to it already from the, from the opening. If they'd just started in the house, in the apartment building and they were those edits, I think they would have felt problematic. Yeah. But they do a really good job of seeding the the visual language that they're going to be using in the film in that first section. So it does more than just introducing us to the characters, it introduces us to the style and, and in a really good way.
1: As a, as a filmmaker yourself, Jan, what would you say is the other kind of impact that early section has on the rest of the film? I know you know the answer to this. Well, I, to be honest,
0: and I don't think this is what you were fishing for, but... The thing that really struck me was this is a this is one of those films where when I watched it the star was older than me, and now when I watch it she's quite a lot younger than me, and it added a whole other layer where she's got this real like this is a scoop you know I'm I'm in this little thing but here's an opportunity to do a big thing like there's a real naive enthusiasm and push at the beginning which Mm. drives her to make drives a lot of her choices which I just didn't see when I watched it when I was younger
1: yeah no no that's really interesting And it's not actually what i was fishing for what i was fishing for was the fact that the first sort of 10 minutes or so is improv with real people and so it establishes this tone and this very kind of you know like you say dog to a certain extent almost like dogma
0: 95 a
1: verite exactly and so it feels so fucking real like the little things that they do that you couldn't necessarily script that just adds that element of reality and so you've already got that going into the found footage stuff which is based in reality you know that's the appeal of it It feels real so it's got that extra layer on top where okay I'm in a world where this is very real now I'm going to be taken on this horrific journey in this real world I, I just think it's a really lovely idea to combine that and obviously Blair Witch has that improv element as well throughout the film which is part of what gives that film its power I just think it's a really really lovely choice to begin with you know kind of low-level improv
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think that that did sort of carry through stylistically into the bulk of the film, because even though the events were all scripted, the actors weren't getting the scripts in advance. Velasquez was cast because she was a TV presenter, so she had experience in that, and they wanted that to be a natural like way of interacting with the camera for her. And then, again, if you watch the behind-the-scenes stuff, you see them like workshopping dialogue and and precise aspects of movement in a way that's much freer than a normal tightly scripted
1: film yeah absolutely yeah don't don't get me wrong like um i I think what i'm talking about is the difference between completely free improv in a fire station to improv that's within a structure within rules and within kind of a narrative so yeah it does have that Blair Witch element i guess where uh, there, there are the improv elements and people are being scared for real and they're in darkness they can't see but they can smell horrible stuff it isn't a million miles away from um you know heather running through the woods in Blair Witch having like sticks thrown at her or whatever <laughs> um by the filmmakers um yeah. of Blair Witch Project so yeah uh, I wonder if that kind of if that improv element is another thing that needs to be added to the list for DIY filmmakers um though it's a dangerous game to play
0: it very is but I you know I think that the trick is have your structure and do
1: your do your safe pass and then do your improv pass yeah a hundred percent and yeah there's there's another element to this uh, in addition to the the found footage uh stuff which I think would particularly appeal to you Dan um and that's the fact it feels so video gamey, like it, it it feels like the Resident Evil movie we never got to see. And it is something that Yelma and Paco talk about on their director's commentary, that kind of video game influence. Is that something that you've always kind of picked up on? Because obviously you play a lot of games, don't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't... It was something I was thinking about this time round. I don't know if it's something I've always thought about. I think the thing is that most films don't occupy the pov space that much they mm-hmm. use it for you know for for focus to direct the audience's gaze or for impact in occasional sequences but it's not the, the you know the standard way in which a film is done but the the first person viewpoint is innately present if you're watching something that has been filmed by one of the characters mm. And obviously that's going to connect itself to games. I was wondering slightly if maybe people are a little bit more relaxed because a younger generation is so much more used to video games now and video mm-hmm. games that feel a lot more like movies aesthetically. Yeah. That, that maybe they can handle the, the, the jump and bob of the camera work in found footage movies to the extent mm-hmm. that you can... Like they, you used to be able to turn off camera movement like the camera bob in, uh, in computer games. I haven't seen that for a while.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, obviously it adds to that whole immersive element. Like, it's literally like you're there witnessing all of this mad shit (laughs) unfolding before you. Oh man, Wreck is such a fucking great movie. Yeah, and and should we go into the extras a little bit or do you have any more? I mean, there's not too much to say about the plot, really. And I don't really want to go too much into the making of stuff because... I think that's an experience best had by sitting and listening to the commentary and watching the extras on this disc because, like I said before, there's so much detail in the construction of this thing. Um, They they break it down so well. But, yeah, do you have any more thoughts uh, about the film itself before we go into the extras?
0: It's slightly interesting watching it during a pandemic. Right. And I wrote down people trying to escape a building that is locked down because of a deadly virus outbreak. Like people planning a picnic during a lockdown <laughs> at the moment,
1: yeah, I think yeah there, there's maybe we should put some sort of warning <laughs> on this in that yeah, if you are really suffering during the pandemic, then wreck isn't really going to help you there There are a couple of specific moments that really kind of made me feel almost like I was watching news footage, it's certainly from kind of early on in the pandemic in Italy and stuff i don't know it's really it is really resonant with what's going on at the moment. So um, I don't think it will relax you. Um, It is,
0: including people being told to stay inside by authority figures and deciding that they know better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh,
0: Before we move on, uh, can we talk a little bit more in depth about the ending? Because something had happened in my brain to the ending of this Mm -hmm. film, and I don't know if it's something that, is present in the second movie as a sort of a bit of additional information and I just combined them or god forbid if it's something that they did in quarantine that awful american remake yes which I don't which I don't think because I my overwhelming memory of that film other than it being god awful was that they'd actually taken out this element which I had liked so much So at the end of the film, and really, if you haven't seen it, why have you listened this far? But please stop and and watch the film before you listen to the ending. But uh, there's this discussion of the ending. But... um... The, at the end of the film there's a religious aspect there's a like a a, a church-based conspiracy where this young girl has been uh, either repeatedly possessed or like tortured in some way that is in relation to experiments that the the church is doing and it's given birth to this transmittable zombie virus in my memory they were experimenting with the resurrection they were trying to replicate christ's resurrection and either she had like christ dna added to her or they were trying or they thought that like the church had realized that there was some like virus that had caused christ's resurrection and they were trying to jurassic park that like i can't remember the finery of it but i'm sure i remember it being more specifically
1: about the resurrection of christ at the end now that's never been in any version of wreck that i've seen um there's a good chance it, it might have been in one of the sequels but i've got really no memory of the sequels at all i've seen all of them second one's great three and four can do one yeah no i just i've literally got no memory of it but it doesn't sound like the sort of thing that they'd add to the american one because no no i'm sure it wasn't they don't want to I... upset any religious people in america No white religious people in America. So, yeah, no, I mean, all I remember about the end, really, obviously before this revisit, was just how Resident Evil it felt. Like they'd come into a room and they were looking at all these kind of clues and basically the story is unfolding before you visually, which is really, really beautiful it's a lovely way of of kind of tying up this this crazy narrative but yeah hang on to that idea dan um maybe one of the arrowheads will email us and let us know if if they've seen anything like that but if they haven't then there you go there's a film for you to make yeah zombie jesus zombie jesus finally yeah, and, and just before we, we go into recommendations and stuff, I do want to talk a little bit more about the extras because there's one we haven't mentioned at all because um, there's actually two commentaries on this disc and I'd like to talk about Alexandra heller Nicholas's commentary. Now, Arrowheads, you may know Alexandra from her brilliant book uh, A Thousand Women in Horror – 1895 to 2018 which i actually got for christmas and i texted dan a picture of a page yeah. in that book because his wife jen appears in it only to discover that i'm basically the last person on the planet to text them about it but you know <laughs> the thought was there um, indeed it's an amazing book yeah it's a really really amazing book beautiful beautiful book but yeah uh, alexandra has written many books including one on the found footage genre and so her commentary is Basically, uh, contextualizing wreck within that genre so if there are any arrowheads who have listened to our commentary for the villainess uh where we basically name-checked a million films um it's like that but the references are, are slightly more relevant <laughs> on alexandra's commentary they're, they're infinitely more relevant uh, in fact so it's just a wonderful wonderful commentary props to arrow for once again putting the right person with the right film i really really recommend giving that one a listen uh, i do
0: have a i have a copy of the of the disc coming i uh, i watched the film on the the streaming service the arrow channel um yeah on arrow so-
1: player you didn't just watch the film though did you there are extras on the arrow player as well
0: yeah, there's gr- there's loads. There's a fantastic forty minute uh, making of. There's loads of interviews. There's scene specific behind the scenes sequences where you get to see like special effects being put on and choreography being figured out. Um, the the thing it doesn't have is the audio commentaries. So while y- and I, and I do believe that in the future Arrow are working out how to get the audio commentaries onto the streaming service as well. And I think there might be a few on there already. I may be wrong but if you want the the full deep dive it's the disc if you want to watch the film and get a taste of the fantastic extras uh, then the streaming service does have a lot of them on it
1: yeah and uh quentin tarantino recommended the arrow player on uh, the empire podcast with edgar Wright recently so
0: yeah it's the, um, it's the number one streaming service at the moment like down the, the app is the most downloaded app at the moment
1: yes it is excellent and uh we will be popping up on that channel at some point in the future so uh we're looking out for your precious arrowheads we'll be there too um right should we move on to recommendations based on the film Let's do recommendations based on the film. All right. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah.
0: Um, so I've, I've, I've got a, a, a sort of quite a long short list uh, here because I'm going to rely slightly on you, Sam, to say if I've already mentioned things on the podcast because I kind of feel like we're drifting into territory that we've covered before and i don't want to just sing the same song again okay um but my first one is uh suicide by raul uh, heimrich and yvonne wunschel from 2001 it's a german found footage horror film it's about as bleak and like depressing as found footage can get Um, it was released in the states as finalcut.com by Troma, I believe, picked it up. Troma pick uh, up the best films, Dan. I, I can <laughs> tell you that from experience. And Well, to be honest, I suspect that the reason it wasn't being picked up and therefore Troma were able to get it for a song is because it's so unbelievably alienating in its bleakness.
1: Yeah, well, you know um, I like that shit.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, um, Vipco released it in the UK. It's, I think it's available online, like uh, streaming. It's essentially about a couple of documentarians who... Uh, reach out to people online and this was made in 2001 so you know aol we've reached out to people online uh who are like talking about suicide on message boards and ask if they can film the suicides yeah and it's presented as a as a as
1: fact as found footage and Mm -hmm. it's amazing excellent love it yeah that's really good yeah. Excellent recommendation. And I don't think you've recommended it before, but there is a very handy way uh, for you to check. Now, we have the main official letterbox list, but I think Nick's, Nick Vesberg has taken a holiday and it hasn't been updated for a while. But No shade.
0: It was a ridiculous task for him to take on. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. I no. usually appreciate the... <laughs> yeah. uh, the- the depth
0: to which he went
1: yeah yeah no it's absolutely no shade um he's earned his holiday if he has indeed taken a holiday but it it, it, is factual that it hasn't been updated in a while um but uh the lovely Oni babadook on letterboxd has uh created separate uh lists for each of us so um there's one with all of my recommendations and films that i've mentioned in passing in a positive way i uh, missed this and there's one for you as well dan so if in the future you're like have i recommended this before that one is right up to date so um, oh, amazing on e Babaduk. thank you thank you thank you i know you're listening to this because you do update these letterboxes uh, for us um thank you (laughs) sincere thank you it's really really helpful um so yeah anyway i'm now gonna completely undermine uh, that whole speech because i'm gonna (laughs) recommend something i've definitely mentioned in the past um (laughs) but, but i can't not i can't not recommend this film like it's it's one of my favorite Films, basically full stop it is the pal tapes Very now nice, yeah. there are so many found footage movies that i love but i think alongside the blair witch project which anyone listening to this almost certainly has seen um yeah the pal tapes is probably my favorite found footage film um it takes the fake documentary elements of the early parts of blair witch and kind of fleshes them out into a full narrative. So it's a narrative that revolves around the discovery of a bunch of videotapes belonging to a serial killer. And we get interviews from all sorts of experts who contextualise this fictional killer, making it feel like a precursor to a whole load of um, Netflix true crime series like The The Family Next Door. Now, what's in those tapes is increasingly disturbing So much like Suicide uh, from Dan, I can't recommend this to people who don't like extreme horror. Um, But if you are into found footage, this is a great one. It makes me feel so uncomfortable in so many different sequences. And that's kind of why I watch films. It's to feel something, whether that's joy or sadness or fear or in this case kind of extreme discomfort. And there is a direct reference to it in A Little More Flesh. So, you know, there's that too. Um, And the director made the rec remake Quarantine, but don't hold that against him because, as Dan points out, um, that's probably not worth your time. But toilet water. God knows what happened in the making of Quarantine because the Poughkeepsie Tapes is an absolute masterpiece. Highly recommend it. Dan, have you seen Poughkeepsie Tapes? If you just casually asked me, I'd say
0: yes, because I think I have. But the talk of how extreme it is makes me think maybe I'm thinking of something else because my memory isn't of extremity. So I'm going to double check.
1: Well, remember our kind of line, our extreme (laughs) line is very different in different ways. But I think it's more in the level of discomfort it produces as opposed to what you actually see. And as you know, you know, I, I'm kind of into that, like taking something that wouldn't necessarily uh, be kind of banned as a video nasty, but presenting it in a way that's so uncomfortable. I think you know that's that's part of the power of cinema when you can do It's definitely part of
0: the power of fan footage.
1: Uh, well, there you go. Exactly. So yeah it, it's a film that feels very real as we've discussed and what you see is is kind of yeah it shows a lot but it also leaves stuff to the imagination in a very clever way so anyway palkeepsie tapes i'll shut up about it now dan what's your next recommendation
0: uh my next recommendation is from 2003 uh, it's directed by julian richards it's the last horror movie oh wonderful which, again, I feel like i probably mentioned a dozen times. The last horror movie was slightly undermined by its own success because it got to play in the cinema, and I don't think that's quite what Julia was expecting mm. because the movie really works best if you're watching it on a rented VHS. Without wanting to spoil too much about it, the reason for that, uh, partic- like that best way to watch it is because you- what you put in the machine is this, like, it starts playing, and it's just a movie, like a, a relatively cheesy American horror movie called The Last Horror Movie. And then you get that kind of like static breakdown as though someone has taped over the tape you've got. And you slowly realize that the tape, the person who rented the tape before you from the video store, has put something else over the end of it. And so it's the truest form of found footage because it's the only one I've ever seen where you genuinely are presented with something that you are in the process of finding during the film Mm. and what julia manages to do is a really good like like invasion of the safety that is normally afforded a viewer by the barrier of the screen because it becomes your world and the world of the movie kind of intertwine in a way that i've never seen anywhere else this said i haven't seen it for absolutely years so if it hasn't aged well please don't attack me but my memory of it is that it's incredibly good
1: Oh, man. Arrow, please pick that one up. We all know, Julian. Come on. And do a limited release on VHS. There you go. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see that. Excellent. Um, Great recommendation. And I am going to be slightly annoying uh, now, precious Arrowhead. I'm very sorry. I know you come to me for the old film recommendations, but I'm going to recommend another book. But it's an incredible book. I can't not recommend it. It's too perfect. It is... Found Footage Horror Films, Fear and the Appearance of Reality by Alexandra Helen Nicholas, who we've already discussed. Um, And it has Exhibit A on the cover. And, Uh, you know, just to to make everybody happy, um, that is another found footage movie I'd absolutely recommend. It's unique in that it's a very dark family drama as opposed to a straight horror film. But it honestly, man, it makes you feel so fucking sick when you watch it. It just the way it kind of descends into very dark drama slash horror i'd say um it's just a masterclass in kind of building tension and and just this slow descent into horror anyway i'm not recommending that i'm recommending found footage horror films fear and the appearance of reality because it's incredible it's so detailed so comprehensive it's a must buy for anyone listening to this episode it connects really nicely with the commentary on the disc obviously but mainly it's just an essential guide to this genre operating as a treasure trove for pretty much everyone experts and newcomers alike you will discover something new in this book it's like a very expanded version of that excellent commentary which it obviously has much more in-depth analysis of why we like these movies and how they work it's got a, a big list of films that will be Uh, new to you and Alexandra has amazing taste so yeah you will find something new to love in that book Uh, the paperback is relatively expensive because it is an academic text but you can pick it up on Kindle for a tenner and it features loads of rec stuff in there so definitely worth the money for fans of this film Um, yeah I highly recommend it Dan what's next is it time for stuff from the past couple of weeks it is isn't it Mm. Well, yes, but Oh, you've you have, got a whole bloody long list,
0: haven't you? I've got a whole bloody long list, but and I was going to not bother, but you did a book and I've got a book, so oh, okay, perfect. Um, I I basically I just wrote down all my favourite found footage things, uh, and then I was thinking about like early examples of found footage. Do you know the term an episto- uh How's it pronounced? Epistolary, epistolary Damn. novel.
1: Of course, I fucking do.
0: Of course, you do, right? Yes. So for for the for the for the few of our listeners who may not be familiar with this uh, an epistolary novel is a novel that takes the form of a collection of letters and it's sort of a literary precursor to the found footage like structure i would say and i think probably the first one i ever read when i was probably slightly too young and again i'd be surprised if i haven't already mentioned this on the podcast um it's written by john wells and john fortune in 1971 it's called a melon for ecstasy it's about a dendrophile who has fallen in love with a tree but just fuck a lot of trees throughout the book, um, and it's a collection of found pages from a diary, and local uh, newspaper cuttings, and missives from like the notice boards around the town, and minutes from town meetings about these mati- these weird holes that are appearing in all the trees uh, around the town. Uh, it's not a horror, it's a comedy, um, but it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, you can pick up like second-hand paperbacks on eBay and stuff. But yeah, it's really, really worth finding.
1: Lovely um, stuff. And, yeah. and I, I, I'm going to do one more tiny quick recommendation just off the back of Dan's recommendation. House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielski, which... Have you read House of Leaves, Dan? So we've definitely talked about this on the
0: podcast before because it's one of Jen's favourite books yeah and I, I, when you were living here we had all discussed it but you didn't know until the last time we talked about it on the podcast that i've never read it which
1: i still haven't dan well um for anyone who doesn't religiously listen to all of our podcasts it is uh, an absolute gold standard for how to do a, a kind of film like reality in uh, literary form um because it basically uses film techniques but transposes them to the the written page. Uh, it's hard to describe, and I'd have to go into spoilers in order to kind of explain how they do that, or how Mark does that. But massive recommendation. It's about found footage. It's about so much more, and there are layers and layers of reality. I know it's like you say, Dan. It is. It's one of Jen's favorite books, or is it her actual favorite book?
0: No, I think it's one of uh, Yeah, it's quite at the
1: top. There are problematic elements to it. Um, I saw someone on Twitter reading it for the first time um, recently, and they were very unhappy about some of the elements within it. But if you can kind of survive that, then it is uh, an incredible, incredible Uh, reading experience that really mimics the feeling of watching a a great found footage movie. Right, let's finally move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you been watching?
0: I watched Snow Trail, uh, which I think you'd love, Sam. Have you seen Snow Trail?
1: I have not seen Snow Trail.
0: I hadn't seen Snow Trail either. There's some rather suspect DVDs floating around online. Uh, There's not another... I don't think there's an official physical media release, but it is on the Criterion Player it's from 1947. It's Toshiro Mifune's first uh, film. And it was written by Kurosawa. So I don't know really what else you need. But yes. it's, about a, <laughs> it's about a trio of bank robbers who have made the mistake of bottlenecking themselves up a mountain in their attempt to escape from the police. Oh. And so it ends up being like a sort of very cold... Treasure of the Sierra Madre. No, not, not Treasure of the Sierra Madre so much. They, they, they end up sort of infighting, obviously, but then it goes, they end up mountaineering as well. There's a bit of cliffhanger-y stuff to it. It's 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 genuinely fantastic. You can see from, like, frame one why Mafune was so, like, just destined. And he's, I mm. mean, and also he's he's beautiful in it. He's a beautiful man. It also uh, features an amazing soundtrack um, from Akura ifukubi who did the godzilla soundtrack cool uh the original godzilla soundtrack jesus and, christ this and film has him, pedigree man fucking hell you, you can hear him practicing or like trying out some of the stuff that would later oh. turn up in the godzilla soundtrack
1: fucking love it god that is essential essential i will have to hunt that down um like even a tenuous connection to treasure of sierra madre makes it a must watch for me because i fucking love that film as well but all of those people involved in it and and the premise yes Snow Trail, I'm very excited to watch that. Thank you, Dan. Mine's slightly easier to get hold of because it's an Arrow video release and it's a recent Arrow video release. Uh, My first recommendation is the El Duce tapes. Now, you might be wondering why I'm doing this as a recommendation rather than suggesting it as a full episode. I honestly think this film would upset you Dan like I think you would absolutely hate elements of this film um, and for kind of good reason it, it's a shock doc about the very grotesque singer of a very grotesque band called the mentors who say and do very grotesque things throughout the film but what makes this one fascinating is it's entirely constructed from vhs footage shot at the time so it kind of basically feels like man bites dog meets trash humpers um and and in fact it, it kind of feels like found footage in a way so perfect for this episode but it's genuinely gross and disturbing But it's also an amazing snapshot of the 90s, kind of like a a perfect Polaroid covered in garbage. If you've got a strong stomach, I do really recommend this one, even if you will feel a bit weird afterwards. Uh, Great extras too, including some unused footage and uh, a nice featurette on the all-female El Duce tribute band the were mentors were mentors <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um but yeah the el duche tapes it's definitely not a feel-good film but it is a fascinating descent into repulsion and the politics of outrage and there's kind of a lot that you see in this film that yeah uh, 30 years after the events portrayed have kind of been even more born out into the culture um you see kind of elements of uh, i'm gonna say his name i'm sorry trump in this film so yeah if i haven't completely put you off this fascinating and disgusting film it's also on arrow player um which you should hopefully already be subscribed to by this point uh in the podcast but um yeah the old duche tapes i recommend it in a way yeah. How would you compare it
0: to the Todd Phillips, Gigi Allen documentary?
1: I'd say that that would make a pretty good double bill. Um, okay, but yeah, I just don't want to go into because there's just elements to it that will take us into a territory down we don't want to go into. So I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna stop talking about it and um, ask you for your next recommendation.
0: Uh, my next recommendation is just another Billy Wilder that we've ticked off the list.
1: Oh, fantastic. Uh,
0: Jen and I were looking for something to watch. Uh, we put on the front page, which I'd never seen, from 1974. It's Walter Matthau. It's Jack Lemmon. You know, you can't go wrong. We're like five minutes in, and Jen's like, it's really interesting. The layout of this room is very much like another movie that I can't quite put my finger on. And then like 10 minutes in, we realise that it's based on the same play as uh, His Girl Friday. Uh, oh, wow. And, and that the the set is Almost identical because it's a play and it's so pivotal to the staging this main room that so you know well done Jen for being able to spot another movie from the position of a desk but yeah it's a it's a dark like latter day Wilder a dark comedy there yeah it's about it's about journalism uh, integrity uh, commitment to a career an inability to leave a job behind capital punishment police corruption it's fantastic.
1: Wonderful, excellent. Um, I've actually got, I can see them in front of me, I've got the Eureka releases of Fedora and The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes on on my watch pile at the moment. So um, a couple more Billy Wilder recommendations. Uh, Fedora's really fun, yeah. Yeah, it's great. My next recommendation, though, is another arrow video title i promise they haven't put me up to this but i've just watched a couple of really good (laughs) ones recently it is southland tales um which is out on limited edition blu-ray uh with the can cut included now buy this disc i've put that in all caps in my notes um you will really really regret it if you don't because the can cut is the definitive version of the film and when it's gone, gone If, like me, you love stuff like Under the Silver Lake, you will want to watch this film which shoots for the stars but ends in utter, utter lunacy in a good way. Um, It's basically like Robert Altman meets David Lynch that's also very recognisably from the director of Donnie Darko because it is Richard Kelly. It feels miscast from top to bottom literally everyone in this film feels miscast except for maybe one person um but it all somehow works to create its own very likably bizarre vibe so the kind of profound miscasting almost feels deliberate in a way it's just got a really weird atmosphere and if you look at the plot hard enough you'll see some more prescience here um It's either prescience or America literally hasn't changed in 15 years. But whatever, I love this batshit film. Maybe you will too. And the only reason I haven't suggested this for a full episode is I'm not sure I can ask Dan to put himself through nearly three hours of a film with religious undertones that's also sort of a musical. But Southland Tales, what a picture. Thank actual God that movies like this exist
0: well now i feel like we have to
1: do it i've never, <laughs> I've, never I've never seen it so oh, let's do it i do think you'd hate it though dan and it's nearly three hours long that'll make for a great podcast all right well we've we've recently done a schedule i'll I'll revisit it and i'll I'll swap it out for something else and we'll, and we'll do it i'll swap it out for one of my choices and we'll do it How we about can just that? stick
0: it on the end of the schedule oh yeah that's uh, you a know good what, idea. Let's, let's 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 keep let's put it in early in the schedule ish
1: Because if it's selling out, we want to do it relatively early on, I guess. Right. Uh, Welcome to admin. (laughs) More admin for the precious arrowheads. But all right, we're going to do Southland Tales in an upcoming episode, so even more reason to buy it. Right. Have you got one more, Dan? I mean, I've got loads more found footage movies I could talk about, but no, that's... uh, (laughs) We're done with our recommendations. (laughs) Oh, I get so easily confused. Right, Extra extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Now... I know I've just talked for ages but before we get to our main extra features a very quick festival review I saw Glitch in the Matrix as part of Sundance 2021 and it's a fascinating if flawed film it's basically a documentary about simulation theory from the director of Room 237 and it somehow manages to make a topic as complex as simulation theory Easier to understand than some of the theories in Room 237, which is a tick in its favour. And it also features (laughs) fantastic footage of Philip K. Dick. But there's also some really uncomfortable true crime stuff in there that didn't really sit right with me kind of ideologically. You'll know what I mean when you watch it. And there's still enough here for me to recommend it. Um, But just be warned that there's some tonally difficult stuff in there as well. But um, yeah, Glitch in the Matrix, it's on VOD right now, and there's a Blu-ray in May. Dan, would you like to introduce your extra feature before we get on to mine?
0: I'd like to ask you a question about Glitch in the Matrix first. Okie dokie, yeah. Does it have that bit in an interview where Elon Musk says, uh, it's a really interesting theory, my brother and I have been obsessing about it, it's overtaking every conversation we have. So we've had to ban it as a topic of conversation from the hot tub.
1: <laughs> no way, well, it doesn't have that exact quote, but it does have Elon Musk in it. And it does have some theorizing that Elon Musk is like a high level player in the simulation world and he kind of pops in and out. I mean, it's pretty fucking weird, but <laughs> yeah, that, that's not what I have a problem with. There's some st- i don't want to get into it because it's kind you know, of spoilery, no, i wasn't, I wasn't so. asking you to
0: expand on the stuff you don't want to talk about yeah i just i just wanted an excuse to draw attention to <laughs> elon musk's
1: routine hot tub time with his brother yeah yeah i wonder what they talk about anyway dan not the matrix <laughs> no they're not allowed they're not it's allowed banned. that's part of this it's part of the whole thing but anyway dan um who have you been speaking to for extra features
0: uh, I uh, reached out to uh, a lovely, lovely man uh, by the name of Javier Botet. I was aware of Javier from from Wreck, uh, from other stuff he'd done. I did a picture called The Other Side of the Door for Fox, uh, and I said, I, I want to work with Javier. Javier's the guy for this. Um, I, I I sort of gave the producers his name. I told them to check him out. They were like, yes, he's perfect. Um, I can't remember how we reached out to him, but we we got through to him. I went and did a fitting with him in Madrid. And then we spent loads of time in India together because he was playing the creature in that film. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Javier is the girl in the attic at the end of Wreck. And he's yeah he's a super super nice guy he's a big film fan in his own right uh and so he and i had a chat about Rec and his experiences on the film okay i'm incredibly happy to be uh joined by the the lovely javier Batet. javier thank you for joining us
2: no, it's a pleasure. My pleasure.
0: It's uh, wow! It's been a long time since we've uh, since we've actually seen each other. I'm going to jump straight in with the questions. The first one is: I just I wanted to ask you how you came to be attached to REC, like how you got involved with the project.
2: Well, uh, REC was uh, one of my first projects, so I've been like two years early started working as a monster performance with uh, Beneath Still Waters, and so. A few in Spain, you know, there's no much movies uh, yeah. of horror, science fiction, and so in beneath still water the movie there was uh, like three or four effects effects techniques uh, uh, working on. So I've been working with one, but the others the others took looks in the set and they saw my my body and they said, okay. Uh, I want to work with this guy. So one of those guys was uh, David Ambit. Uh, so when he was involved in REC in the project and he read the script, he he wanted to make a very nice and peculiar monster. So he asked it for me, he said, please try to to hear uh, uh, Javier Botet to to call Javier Botet because I think it's the perfect body to try this creature. So they called me. I said, Yes, of course, I'm happy to. So I've been in the same the- at the same time I've been working in other movie So I was with a big bread. So I said, Yes, of course, I want to do it, but I cannot shave the the bread. Shake a bit off. Okay, uh, let's find a way. So we did a mix of latex and things to cover that, and it makes the the, the skin goes like that. Wow! Uh, so the, the,
0: the design had to incorporate the beard underneath the
2: makeup. Yes. the design was a, a, a yes a mix between the designs and what he can he can do. <laughs> it was like an accident because even worse. Uh, more an accident because in the beginning I was uh, close to play other role because in the screenplay, in the original screenplay, uh, I was the 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 priest who was making all the how to say the yes the interventions and all the all the investigations yes uh, so at the, beginning, at the end the girl dies. Because all these uh, things, uh, so then he kept the investigation in his own body with the um. blood and the the, the 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 cyan point of the girl in his body. So he become a, like a creature. But we did some test, and the day before we we been shooting, they told me we made change. <laughs> now you're going to play the little girl uh, <laughs> with the airbill, and, and I say, oh, my God. I was even uh, reading and, and learning and, and rehearsing my dialogues. <laughs> but in the last moment, they told me, no, you're the girl. And I said, oh, fuck, <laughs> that's amazing, happy. I, I thought it was crazy, was was amazing, so... Uh, I went to eat, uh, striked. So I, I've been one night thinking about the, the the performance of being a girl, a demon girl. <laughs> so, and in the morning we started uh, like gluing parts and it was the first time we did the first rails, the first uh, test and the shooting day. Wow. Okay, so, so the makeup... Was like a, a one day trying to save the moment, <laughs> save the situation. So David was working on me almost uh, no, at almost nine hours. It was like eight hours trying, and then after eight hours, I started working. So wow. It was a crazy day.
0: That's that's insane. How many days did you end up doing on the film in that
2: makeup? In the first one, mm-hmm. I was only one day. Wow! I did a, a previous test as the priest, mm-hmm. but but finally we did a, a final day shooting as a, the girl Medeiros. <laughs> but only one. In the next movies, the next sequels, uh, we did only one day. Every day I did something was in one day. So. So, I really worked very little. <laughs> well, it's certainly one of the most
0: important moments in the film, Yeah, and it is. and you've gone on to be so many iconic characters. You're fast becoming one of the one of the best names.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I felt uh, all the importance uh, that this role was for me, and I'm so happy. I'm I love the character, but the fact is, I played only one day <laughs> but but I remember it uh, a long time cuz after after we did the shooting day the David and, and, and me we thought was a very nice character and we thought it was going to to be a little important or no? as as big as he was as it was, Um, so we did a special makeup day uh, for our personal time. We did uh, in his uh, workshop, like one month later of the shooting days, because after the shooting day, they didn't make a photo shooting or taking care of the creature. So we did by ourselves a makeup day in the workshop with a friend of mine. He he make a shooting day, a nice material to for the yes, you know, for the future. So when they make the D V D and all the things they did after the the success, we said, Hey, we have a nice material that you gonna have. So you have <laughs> the the D V D with the all the images of the Medeiros mm. girl? That's like one month later of the Wow shooting. <laughs> you
0: know. So we we talked about movies a lot when we were working together. I know you're a, a big movie fan as well as you know as well as someone who works in the films. Is what's what job have you had where you were the most excited about being able to be involved in that film?
2: Well, uh, as a fan, I love a lot of movies and people. And so uh, I remember in Spain with so many uh, big actors working. Uh, Even the first time I've been working was with a, oh my God, now my memory is going down. With uh, Brian Jutna, so was yeah. so happy for me. It was always the same, like who is involved? With it? Oh my God, is the director? I think the first time I worked out of Spain was so was so big for me because was produced uh, Mama by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, I've been working with Jessica Chanstein and um, Costa Baldo, the, the Game of Thrones, yeah. Nicola. Nicola, but when I've been working with you, I was so happy because, for example, mm, working with uh, 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 Jeremy Sisto, with, uh, well, the actress is uh, a of course, but I uh, no no maybe when I was working in Calgary, in Canada, with Iñárritu, too, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio and and Tom Hardy was the most famous names. Yeah. But yes, I uh, don't know. Working with Guillermo del Toro in Crimson Peak was great. Yeah. Um, can you know. uh, can
0: you tell our listeners a little bit about the experience of being put through a makeup, like say one of the ones in Crimson Peak? You're in the chair for a long time. What do you? How do you keep your mind busy?
2: Well, like always, uh, you know. Uh, I try to be happy and fun and and making jokes and and I like to hear music and, and meet the and speak with the FX uh, artists artist. So in Crimson Peak, I've been working with uh, David and Monty from DDT. So I've been working with them before in Mama and and after in a few other movies. So they are so close to me so it's easier to feel comfortable with a makeup artist and 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 that helps so much to to stay all these hours in the makeup. But sometimes not much but sometimes you fall asleep
3: (laughs) a
1: little.
2: And it helps too because yes it's usually you can you can't cannot sleep because you need to be striked and moving the, <laughs> the body as the makeup artist needs. so it's not very comfortable but you know it's mine cold <laughs> relax but just uh, just meditate.
0: So aside from uh, your the performances that you're famous for, I was always very keen on your artwork and you'd tell me about your, your screenplays and stuff as well. Are you are you developing anything? Are you still directing your own stuff or
2: Well yes yes, yes uh, I well in my life I directed shorts and I worked in 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 a movie doing a part in a Spanish movie called uh, Every at the end everybody dies. There's something else important. Yeah. but that was little things but in my free time the last seven years I've been busy busy uh, working as an actor but in free time I was uh, working a little more in my screenplays and uh, so this last year with the COVID (laughs) Mm. I've been working a lot so I have a few projects uh, (laughs) (laughs) worms. I think maybe soon they are gonna happen I created a cartoon uh, series, I've been r- writing some movies. Uh, I don't know if you know Amigo. Amigo is a movie, but still it's not uh, easy to see in a platform or whatever, but it was uh, a few months ago in cinemas, but, uh, you know, very little cinemas because now it's complicated. A movie, called it Amigo. It's a movie that I wrote. It's a, a screenplay I wrote. That it's a story I had like uh, ten years ago. But there is a movie it's, now it's done. I'm one of the lead actors, but I, I wrote. And now, yes, I'm I'm working with another produ- pro- producers, and maybe soon. One of my screenplays are gonna uh, be made that's, soon. So, yes, I'm I'm still working in in everything.
0: That's super exciting. Well, you know, once the the world regains a little bit of normalcy, I can't wait to see what you're what you're doing next. Thank you, yeah. Javier. It's been yeah a, a real pleasure to to catch up with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Dan. So yeah, there you go. There's Javier, and what a fucking crazy thing that the design of the girl in the attic that amazing like sort of goitered throat that she's got was like that came about because they had to hide javier's beard
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) crazy i I think that's something of a scoop because um they certainly don't go into it in the commentary and i haven't heard that i haven't heard that in any other interview so i think that might be a scoop dan
0: I've, i've only ever heard it from javier and the uh although if you look at the the making ofs on the disc and the and the channel you can see them applying the makeup and you can see that they're having to put it over a full beard right i just hadn't like put two and two together so the fact that it was sort of an 11th hour decision to to have him
1: play the girl rather than the priest awesome awesome love it well um I don't think I've got any scoops in, in my interview, though. I do have Yalma and Paco's reaction to Rob Savage's host. But yeah, it's mm. all coming up. So I sat down for an interview with the directors of Rec, and uh, you're going to hear Paco speaking first after I ask my opening question. Uh, have a little listen. There is an amazing commentary by Alexandra Heller-Nicholas where she kind of um, positions wreck in kind of found footage horror history. Two, two questions related to that. Uh, are you a fan of audio commentaries? Do you listen to commentaries on your films that you're not involved with? And how do you feel about the found footage genre as a whole? Because obviously you have made an incredible example
3: of it. First question, yeah, I I, I do listen to all your commentaries. I, I, I like it very much, especially when when we are talking about a film that I'm very familiar with, uh, I have seen many, many times, and I really want to take the most of it. Uh, I, I like very much to hear the directors or the actors explaining different uh, things, anecdotes, or maybe something more profound. Uh, uh, it's, it's always cool to dig into, deep into, in, into a film you love. And uh, uh, regarding the, the found footage question, I think it's just a tool. It's a way of telling that was there before we made the wreck, of course. And, and it's still, uh, and, and there are very good films and, and some terrible ones. Uh, it's just a tool. It's just a way of telling stories like, uh, many, like many others. No? What I think is that uh, what found footage tries to give a, a, a film is some aroma of authenticity or or, or real experience that uh, that works very very well in in, in some examples, uh, but it's I, I think for a moment it was like there was there were too many of them, uh, but I think when you use it correctly, it's uh, it's, it's as valid as any other art form. Absolutely, I totally agree. Yes,
4: I love I love uh, the audio commentaries, but especially when 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 I love a movie, uh, when I, I'm very exciting, uh, excited after seeing a movie, and I want to uh, know uh, more. I want to know everything about how uh, the movie was done, and I, and I want to learn. Uh, I need to learn more, and 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 then is when I I love audio commentaries, and I agree with Paco. Uh, I think found footage is just a a way to to tell a story and the kind of narrative and like everything in, in this life you need to to know how to manage it or to manage it well I've seen not not a lot but some uh found footage movies uh, actually I'm not a, a real fan of found footage movies but um some of them I love uh in, in there's a different ways to tell a story. This is just one. Uh,
1: absolutely, and um, with regards to, to the audio commentary that, that you guys have done, that's on this disc, I think people should like be forced to listen to it because it's extraordinary what you achieved. Like, forget the Oscars, I think you should win an Olympic medal. Like the the magic of some of these shots and the way you kind of explain what you achieved is just kind of miraculous. Did you establish any rules for the production before you started? Uh, And if so, what were those rules? Because that's one thing that I didn't kind of learn from the commentary. What kind of overall structure did you have that
4: that you discussed with the actors? Actually, um, we established a lot of rules. I think uh, I remember that the the most important, important rule for us was uh, we will never stop shooting. Doesn't matter if someone uh, falls uh, um, in the stairs or anything could happen, but we will never uh, stop shooting. I think this was one of the first rules we decided uh, all together, and then other rules like uh, not to let uh, the actors know everything about the story and let them discover during the shooting what was happening. Try, try to be always very, very realistic. If we have a, um, a scene with a, with a night shot uh, lens uh, with the actors inside darkness with the light, night shot lens, then uh, we, would, we will uh, shoot uh, that scene exactly this way. In pitch black with a, a, a real natured um, lamps. Actually, it, when you see the movie, you see a lot of imperfections that they be, they become very very realistic. I I remember when Fireman enters the, the 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 first apartment when the old girl is screaming, and they enter the the the, the corridor. And suddenly, one of the actors uh, with, his, with his shoulder uh, it, 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 uh, it makes an object fall to, in, in the floor. Normally, in a movie, it was an imperfection. We will stop, we will cut, and then we will try again. But we let that happen because we'll never uh, stop shooting. And the reaction of the actors uh, they were scared because some, something f- f- uh, fell in the floor. And it, it wasn't, they, they were scared, not because um, something f- falling on the floor is scary, but because they, suddenly they were um, insecure because they didn't know if, if the take was okay or they, of, of they, they needed to stop or, or just keeping acting. And that nervios- nerviosity, how we say nerviosity? <laughs> Ner- nerviosity. <laughs> You know, and, and that, that was very, very, very upsetting for them. Yeah. But they keep that in the action. And, and the, the, I think the movie is a um, blend of this kind of, of, of things.
1: And, and you guys, uh, you, you talked about um, found footage being a tool. Um, it, it's also a tool that's used uh, in films that aren't necessarily associated with found footage. So like the Dogma 95 movement is kind of almost found footage. And um, John Cassavetes... Are you a fan of, of those kind of directors like last one cheer, John Cassavetes, and would you see them as an influence on you at all?
3: What we wanted was to be very honest to the kind of documentary, TV documentary style, you know, and, and something that Jaume point, pointed out uh, before, and, and I think it's true that it's what made the film different in a way, it was the, the feeling of being in real time, you know, like the audience, experiences the film while it's being shot, you know? And I think that's, that increases the implication of the audience in, in the film, the experience, because uh, we wanted to create this feeling you have when you are playing a video game on where, or where you are, you are in a roller coaster, like experience the film, uh, like not sitting to watch a screen when, where something is happening, but being part of the adventure. Yeah, no,
4: I, 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 I was I, I wanted to say, actually, for me, uh, Wreck is not a found footage movie um, because uh, found footage movie means uh, someone found footage that was uh, recorded and then they edited and they showed to the audience. In this case, nobody found nothing because uh, the movie is happening at the same time you are seeing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's life horror. Uh, if we need to find a way uh, to, to, to tell that it's fi- uh, life horror, uh, that's what we wanted. And,
1: and that kind of connects it to a, a recent movie, Host, which was directly inspired by Wreck. Um, the director, Rob Savage, made a viral video that used clipped in footage from from Wreck. Um, and, and it's very much in that kind of life horror tradition. Have you guys seen Host? Um, did you see the viral video that went around? And if so, did you have that roller coaster experience that you couldn't necessarily have with Rec because you made it? Um, are you a fan of that
3: film? Have you seen it, Joma? I, I I saw it. No, I haven't seen it, it. It's really fun, and I saw it because a, a, a British journalist told me that the director had said that uh, Rec was a very strong inspiration for him. And there is a shot that it's exactly like one we made, the one with the kid in the attic. Yes, it's the same shot, uh, and it's kind of an homage to our film. And I, I felt host was really, really fun, uh, really fun. I, I had a very, very good time watching it, and and it's it's kind of it's something we could have made if rec was made today because it's 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 something that it did uh, because the the film jauma it's like a zoom uh, session like the one we're having right wow. now and you see the screen with different little windows okay. and so it's something so linked to what is happening right now it's so rooted in 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 what we are going through that, that our life is a continuous zoom. It's it's really, really fun. And I, I wish I had watched it in the computer because I, I watch it on TV. And I when I finished, I I said, wow, watching this in a laptop must be very, 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 uh, because it's the, just the screen of your laptop. It's it's really fun. I love the film. And, and the length of the, it's 50, 50, 50 minutes. No, 15 minutes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just under an hour. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's like a Zoom session uh, and it's it, it, I think it was very clever and very intelligent film. Fantastic. Thank
1: you. And um, there are some hidden cuts in the movie You kind of pointed out in the um, in the commentary. Um, how do you plan those and what is the secret to a great hidden cut? Because that feels like a whole other art form in the middle of everything else that you're, you're doing on that on this film.
3: I think that there are a lot of them that it's just like as we we, we used a very shaky camera it they were very ha- very easy to to these guys but there were some digital uh, cuts as well uh, it's because we, we there were moments that it was impossible to to have a take that long or we just wanted to mix two different takes and and we didn't as Jauma said it's like you are watching what the camera is recording so We didn't want the audience to have the feeling that we were editing the film. Yes, exactly. We're seeing like the the rushes of it.
1: The final shot of the movie was used in the marketing uh, of of the film. Um, How did you guys feel about that? Um, Because obviously it's an incredible shot. How did you feel about it being used in the marketing? Did you not mind or
3: or, or what? I I don't remember because in in Spain, the trailer, uh in the trailer for theaters in Spain didn't show a single frame of the fo- of the movie oh wow it was just the reaction of the audience we oh. shot the reaction of the audience watching the film and uh it was like we 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 didn't show not a single frame of the film for for the promotion of it but i guess, i guess internationally they they used uh, and i haven't i haven't seen it
1: oh okay um yeah, because I guess it um, spoils the movie to a certain extent, but obviously it intrigued so many people to go and see the movie. So it's kind of um, a balance. But I love I love the sound of the trailer that, that you guys had. That's that's kind of the dream trailer for this film, I think, in a way. This is for the Arrow Video podcast, and, and we do recommendations um, based on the film. I'm just wondering if you have any recommendations for movies um, for our listeners to, to seek out after they've watched Wreck.
3: The Exorcist.
4: <laughs> exorcist yeah. Because people, I, I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen The Exorcist.
3: Yeah. Young people. Yeah, young
1: people. absolutely.
4: Revisit the classics. Revisit, revisit the classics. Yeah. Because uh, young people sometimes n- know nothing about classics. And they're so um important to discover them, like the Exorcist, Rosemary's baby. Uh, alien the old man uh, for us it's something that belongs to our lives but for people uh, forty years 14 years old or yes. 15 years old for the teenagers probably they don't know about it so discover it
1: love it thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for the movie and there we go lovely words on host lovely. there uh, which is obviously uh, very very inspired by rec um, from that viral video onwards um, so yeah lovely to get their thoughts on it dan social media do you have a twitter account do you have an instagram account
0: yeah 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 yeah. i've uh, cool. i've got got all of those awesome. uh, <laughs> i'm at 13 finger fx uh, on both of those i've been a bit quiet recently but you know comes comes and goes ebbs
1: and flows <laughs> well there you go um what i mean if you're not going to sign up for those accounts on the back of that (laughs) (laughs) no social media from me but please watch a little more flesh on Troma's streaming service troma now uh, a name which sounds a bit like now from southland tales By digress oh, i wonder uh, if
0: they've got uh maybe they've got finalcut.com aka suicide on the on the streaming service yeah i mean
1: it, yeah i'm pretty sure they do they've got basically everything um they, they've distributed on there so um have a look for that after you've looked for a little more flesh um which is uh You know my take on the found footage genre and the first month of on troma now is free so why not check it out it is objectively good loads of your favorite critics say so that's it uh from me any final words from you dan write us a review leave us
0: a five-star rating tell all your friends to listen to the podcast we want more numbers yes please more listeners
1: yes we would like to to get to our fifth year Uh, which is next year, believe it or not. Um, But also, we are definitely going to get to our 100th episode. So uh, that's coming up. And we've got something very special planned for that one. So uh, do eagerly anticipate that. Next time, we will be doing Thief, the Michael Mann movie Thief, uh, which is my choice. And then, why not tell you, two weeks after that, we're also doing JSA, so, please do oh. pick up thief and j s a because uh yeah, it's always better when you've seen the movies, right. we love you um thank you so much for listening, and we promise to be more professional next time promise Bye-bye. <laughs> bye-
0: bye bye.